G'day everyone, good to be with you. I hope you're enjoying your warm lounge rooms as we're enjoying this warm but almost empty hall. Good to be with you to speak to you about apologetics. Now, apologetics is not an inspirational sermon or a challenging sermon that we have today. It's much more a teaching session, which I'd be much more comfortable uh, certainly uh, giving to people who are looking at me, um, but uh, even more comfortable in a classroom setting, you know, where you can have dialogue and have a chat about the things, because oftentimes a teaching session like this will bring lots and lots of questions and uh, maybe not too many answers. But uh, we can't do that, and that's okay. There's going to be some PowerPoint slides up behind me in in uh, a moment or two, and uh, that well, there, look at that, there they are. So, defending the faith, 21st century style, is what I'm going to be talking about. And these PowerPoints have got uh, a whole lot of information on them that you might want to have a look at later on, especially in uh, preparation for next week's uh, message teaching session. And, and they'll be available on the website if you go to the downloads. Um, uh, spot on the website you'll be able to find those powerpoints at uh, that particular place so what i want to do this week is i, I want to give a framework for apologetics now you've uh, given me a couple of questions and uh, you know, thanks very much for that the questions were interesting <laughs> ones um, which i'm going to look at next week i'm just putting it off for as long as i possibly can and uh, we're going to uh, apply the framework that i give today i'm going to apply to the um, uh, to the questions that you've given to me, and we'll be doing that next week, and and we'll have a good time together, I'm sure. Now, some of the material that I've, I'm giving today, this framework for apologetics, uh, or, or if you like, a foundation stone for apologetics, uh, I, I actually spoke on at a, a CVAT um, conference. Uh, I don't know, was it three years ago now, two and a half years ago, whenever it was, and uh, and I gave some of this material then. So if it sounds a bit familiar, you were probably there and you probably heard it, but um, uh, forgotten most of it because I'd forgotten most of it as I, I re-prepared for today. I thought, oh yeah, I remember that. And so that's what I'm doing uh, this week. And then as I say, next week, I'll apply this framework to the specific questions uh, that you've given to me to, uh, to to seek to give some sort of answer to. And, and as I say, that'll be a lot of fun. Now you'll notice on the slide that uh, 21st century style, yeah, I think we defend the faith nowadays uh, in, in a different way than, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. I think it's a different job, and I, I want to explain that as we go through. And um, and you'll also see that I've said that's principles for advocating. So I like the term advocating rather than defending. You know, we're not on the defensive when we, when we come to talking about our faith. Uh, we're actually advocating for it. We're saying this is what we believe. And so I've, I've said there that uh, principles for advocating why we choose to follow Jesus in a world uh, that ignores him. Because I think that's the role of advocacy. Sure, there's a lot of questions. You know, the questions you gave me are about war and about suffering and so on. And, and those are important questions to, to, to seek to answer. But uh, nevertheless, um, it's really the bottom line is why do we choose to follow Jesus in a world that really ignores him? And that's why we're, what we're advocating for. So I'll just get this thing and hopefully we'll go up to the introduction. Look at that, it works. Um, in the 1970s, there was a man by the name of Josh McDowell and he released two volumes that took the evangelical world by storm. Uh, one was called Evidence That Demands a Verdict and the other one was a follow-up to that, More Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And, and they dealt, both of these books, 
uh, dealt with a reasoned approach. It was, it was very much based on evidence, obviously. <clears throat> a reasoned approach to believing uh, that God exists, that Jesus rose from the dead, and that the Bible is God's revealed truth. And these two volumes were actually updated in 2017, and they were promoted by the publisher. They were promoted in this way. God's word tells us we must always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 1 Peter 3.15 This updated classic, this is the publisher talking, this updated classic from Josh McDowell and Sean McDowell will give you the tools that you need to do just that. Now, in the late 70s and 80s, I was a young, rising academic in, uh, in, in a theological college setting, and I used that approach in the belief that if I could present the evidence in a reasoned and understandable way, I would see the multitudes believing and starting to follow Jesus. And that's the idea you'd get from reading some publishers' uh, uh, blurbs on such books. I can remember only one person during that time for whom that was true. Uh, he too was a rising academic and he uh, uh, never displayed any emotions or passion. He was a very um, very intellectual sort of person and he wanted to know just the facts, man. You know, he, he just wanted the evidence. And when I laid them out before him over a period of weeks, he came to the conclusion, and it was a conclusion, it was a, a cognitive act, uh, that uh, all this was right uh, that Jesus was, in Josh McDowell's terms, he was not a lunatic, he was not a liar, so he must be Lord. And that was the natural conclusion. And that's what the, the, the books by Josh McDowell would lead you to. And so on that conclusion that Jesus is not a lunatic and he's not a liar, he must be Lord, he started following him, albeit in a rather mechanical and almost boring way. But nevertheless, he started following Jesus on the basis of the evidence that had been presented along the lines that Josh McDowell would have us uh, have us go. But he was the only person that I can remember who responded positively uh, to that sort of presentation of the facts. However, as I look back over the past almost 50 years, of, of over 50 years actually, of my desire for people to move toward God and discover him as the God of love and grace, because that is our longing, isn't it? I see a lot of other factors at work. I don't see so much of laying out the evidence and having people uh, arrive at a conclusion and saying, oh yes, Jesus must be Lord. It happens, and as I explained, it certainly happened that one time. But I, I see a lot of other sort of factors at work that have been much more, if you like, successful. I don't use it, like using that term very much, but a bit more successful. And the um, it, it's interesting to go back through Scripture and define some of those approaches. And so let's have a look, first of all, at Paul's example of defending the faith, which comes up in Acts chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. And it says there, Paul's in the midst of uh, defending the faith. Uh, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even quieter. 
Now that's a verse, a couple of verses, pulled out from a context which is very interesting, which I advise you it would be good to have a look at, Acts chapter 22. But the story is around Paul in front of a large crowd of accusing Jews in Jerusalem. He asks if he can defend his faith. And that's where the word apologia comes. Uh, That's apologia that is being used there. And that's where our word apologetics comes from, to make a defense of the way that he believes. And so he, he, he does so by telling his story. Not by laying out all the evidence, (laughs) but by telling his story. And I want you to note in that passage that it's not the defense, his story, that makes them quiet, but the fact that he speaks to them in their own language. He's one of them. He belongs. You see, he's identifying with the people that he's speaking to. He's not coming in an argumentative way and saying, I have all the evidence that you need to believe that Jesus is the way, to believe that God has sent Jesus and so forth. He's not coming in that. He says, I've got a story to tell you. I'd love to be able to tell you that story. And he tells it in their own language. He's one of them. He belongs. And the passage says, they became even quieter. They shut up because they wanted to listen to him because, whoa, he's one of us. His story is accepted by them. It's okay until it reaches the bit that they disagree with, which is the bit about going to the Gentiles. Now, that's cultural um, suicide for him. He mentions that. And the whole crowd explodes. doesn't matter about whether he's speaking in their language or not. doesn't matter about whether his story is a good story. Those aren't the things that matter. The point is here that he's mentioned something that they're, they're fiercely against. And so they explode and they want to kill him. Paul's defense, even though he's one of them and he's speaking in their language, is only good in this case as long as it fits with the cultural preconceptions of the listeners. And as soon as he goes against those cultural preconceptions, the things that they accept in their culture, as soon as he goes against them, they're fiercely against him because he's actually proving he's not one of us. You see... He identifies with them by the first part of his story and he identifies with them by the language that he's using but he then removes himself from them. He becomes something other than them by suggesting that this is a good story for the Gentiles as well, that God has a story for the Gentiles as well. And they're just convinced, oh, we we thought he was one of us but he's certainly not with beliefs like that. The word translated defend in this passage, as I said, is apologia, apologetics. And it means a couple of things. It means to make a defense of myself and my actions and my beliefs. In other words, to say, this is why I'm doing this. And it's a relevant way to approach things in acts of civil disobedience, which is what's going on here in Acts 22. He, he was involved, Paul was involved in an act of civil disobedience, and it's, it's a very good, I, I need to defend myself. It's like being in a court saying, I've got a defense for the way that I live. It also means, the, the word apologia, also means to make a reasoned statement. Uh, this is where evidence that demands a verdict come in, the reasoned arguments for belief, 
such as the resurrection and the inspiration of scripture and the existence of God and the person and work of Christ. But the problem is, it didn't with Paul, don't get me wrong, it didn't with Paul because Paul told, Paul did all that through telling a story, which is a magnificent way to do it. And I suggest that's the way to do it today. But oftentimes when we lay out all these reasoned, uh, uh, defenses for the way that we live, it often defaults into defending moral judgments that I make and why everyone else should be like me, especially in the area of sexual ethics. And, and in fact, if that's not what I mean, oftentimes that's what's heard when we lay out, lay out all the, the, the defenses and the reasons and the evidence and so forth. It's often received in this way as being moralistic judgments and especially, as I say, in the area of sexual efforts, uh, ethics. Um, it also comes across, oftentimes, it comes across, it's received as rather attacking. And I um, came up against uh, uh, this uh, book many years ago, back in the 70s, called The Mind Changes by Emery Griffin. And, uh, and it says there at the, at the bottom there, you, you'll notice the crusader on the horse and he's got the poor guy down on the ground and the spear at his head. And the uh, guy down on the ground is saying, tell me more about this Christianity of yours. I'm most interested. And so oftentimes our, our, um, our attempted defense of the faith uh, becomes rather attacking. And we think that people are interested, but it's only because they want to save themselves from the attack rather uh, than anything else. And so um, what we move on to is defending the faith as far as Peter's instruction. We've had a look at Paul's example, and it wasn't very well accepted, but it was still a brilliant method of telling the story. Unfortunately, the story involves some things where the um, audience had to, had to reject him and, and wildly reject him. But then Peter's instruction is an interesting one, and it's the instruction that uh, Josh McDowell's publishers uh, use to promote his books. Uh, Acts 22, uh, sorry, um, uh, 1 Peter uh, 3, verse 15. And when studied in context... Uh, this, uh, this, this verse that talks about um, uh, giving a reason uh, for the hope that we have but doing it with gentleness and respect. When studied in context, this verse is promoting a much larger approach than giving evidence that demands a verdict. And so what I want to do is unpack this passage a bit. It's First Peter chapter 3, verses th- uh, 15 to 17 set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts is how it starts set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts it's really choosing to live this alternative way in the world the beginning of a good um, defense for the way that we live or advocating as I would prefer the term the way that we live, the way of Jesus. The best start is to actually live it, (laughs) to live it in our lives, to set apart Christ as Lord 
in our hearts. As one person has said, sometimes the best evangelism is simply telling people you're a Christian and then not being a complete jerk, <laughs> which, I, which I think is a pretty good understanding of the idea of uh, defending the faith uh, according to Peter's instruction there in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. It's about a life journey that's filled with all of what Jesus stood for, that's filled with justice for all, that's filled with mercy and faithfulness, kindness and gentleness and goodness and love. All of those things that we believe that uh, Jesus lived and stood for, the values that he was into, we're choosing to, to live those, live a life, live a life that sets apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. Summed up in the Beatitudes, if you like. Summed up in the fruit of the Spirit. Summed up in the greatest commandments. The example of Christ. All of these things. Make these your lifestyle. Now, 1 Peter three fifteen seventeen goes on and says, Now, always be prepared. Opportunism is the thing that he's talking about here. In daily life, looking for opportunities to speak up in a way that causes others to ask questions. Did you note that? Looking for opportunities to speak up in a way that causes others to ask questions. That's a, that, that's a key to being able to tell your story. In, in uh, Jim Peterson's book, Living Proof, uh, he talked a lot about lifestyle evangelism and he promotes what he calls flying the flag. Flying the flag is a short comment that makes sense in the context of the conversation that you're having with the person and it simply flags where you stand. The hope is it will be picked up and a conversation will start. Now, that doesn't always happen. In fact, I'll tell you about a a time when I was a councillor with the City of Melbourne and I was walking down to the town hall with, with a colleague of mine after one of our other colleagues had died suddenly over the weekend. And I, I, after I was hearing about this, the, my colleague was telling me about how it happened and so forth. I, I said to him, fair dinkum, you know, it, it pulls me up when I realise how short and fragile life is here on earth and makes me glad there's life beyond all of that. Now, what I was doing, I was flying the flag. I wasn't preaching at him. I was just saying to him, you know, this is what it makes me... Life is short, isn't it? Isn't it good that there's life beyond the grave, you know? Now, I, I wanted him to, to, to say to me, um, you know, wow, how do you know if there's life beyond all of that? And then that would have started out a great conversation. But instead he said, yeah, I know, and it drives me to the pub. I've got a lot of living to do before the black monster gets me. So I um, thought, okay, that one didn't work. <laughs> but the idea is, is still there. You fly the flag, you tell a, a very, you make a short statement that says, this is where I stand. You know, this is what gives me hope. Sometimes it's taken up and sometimes it's not. And that's the idea of always being prepared, looking for opportunities to drop in something that just simply states, this is how I live. That's the, that, that's the beginning of a good defense. You see, you're living a, a life that has set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. And so the people around you are beginning to know you as a person of integrity, beginning, beginning to know you as a person who has value system that you live by. And that's so important. 
That's the beginning of it. And then you look for opportunities to fly the flag and hopefully that will start up a conversation that gives you permission to go into the next part that Peter talks about in these verses and that is to give a reason to anyone who asks you. Notice it's asking you. It's not forcing this onto somebody else. You're flowing the flag and then somebody says, oh, how, how can you have that hope? How do you know there's, 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 there's death beyond the grave, there's life beyond the grave? And, and how, how do you know these things? And so you've been given the opportunity to move further, uh, to give a reason for the hope that is within you. When you have an opportunity to give that reason uh, for your life choices, uh, don't, don't just feed up precept upon precept, you know, all the reasons and the evidence and so forth. The chance there is to say, well, you know, I, I believe uh, that there's hope uh, beyond the, the grave because the, this, this person that I follow, that I believe in, you know, Jesus, he, he talked a lot about hope beyond the grave. And so you bring it back to a person, not just a bunch of precepts. And this is why I live this way. You see, it's giving a reason for the hope that is within you. This is why I believe in the resurrection. This is why I try to love people. This is why I forgive people. This is why I fight for justice. This is why I respect all humanity because there's this bloke, Jesus, who lived that way and I think he lived the best way possible. Uh, most people want to hear your story. Most people want to hear something about why it is, especially when you begin to build a relationship where you're known as a person of integrity, even as a person of wisdom, where you're known that uh, you have hope that seems to, to, to drive you in the hardest of times. Most people want to hear your story. And this is another thing that uh, um, that is talked about by Jim Peterson in that book, Living Proof. The, you fly the flag and then somebody says, how come? And then you can tell a story, telling a faith story. Well, let me tell you about the time, da-da-da-da-da. Let me tell you about how I handled that problem with my kids. You know, I, I actually prayed to God for help, and so you tell a bit of a faith story. You don't go on and on and on and on, and you don't have to cover the whole of the gospel in, in this faith story, but you're just, you know, sowing seeds. You begin, because remember, the Holy Spirit is at work in this other person's life. And you're given a reason through this story, and that's what, that's what Saul was seeking uh, to do. But then the next part of 1 Peter 3 tell, says, do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness is meekness and humility. Respect is a love uh, that shows itself in respecting the other person as having the right to be di very different from you. And that's real key in relationship building and in telling stories about your faith. The other person will have stories that might could contradict your stories, and that's okay. That's a great conversation to have. But that's the beginning of apologetics. That's the beginning of giving a reason for the hope that is within you, doing it with gentleness and respect. And one way to do that is through an invitation into a conversation where I'll tell you why I live this way and then you tell me what you think about that and where you differ. You see, that's one of the reasons why I don't like defensiveness. <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I don't particularly like the word apologetics, because it means to defend. I think we've got to avoid being defensive 
But let's have an open conversation. This is what I reckon about this. What do you think about that? And then we can discuss our differences, you see. And I bet you you can find common ground. I bet you you can find common ground. I have found it, I want to say all the time, but I'm sure there's examples that I could think of if I put more mind to it where this is not so. But usually I find that people that I talk to have a story where they don't really understand, a a spiritual story, a spiritual experience, something that is not understandable from their world reference. And that's really good because that's a chance to explore that together. Let's talk about that together. Not that I have all understanding, that's very important. Humility and all of this is really important, but it's a great conversation to have. And as we think about uh, conversations, I think of this quote uh, from um, uh, from Margaret Wheatley. She's an American writer and management consultant, and in her book, uh, Turning to One Another, she says, we can take courage from the fact that many people are longing to be in conversation again. We're hungry for a chance to talk. People want to tell their story and are willing to listen to yours. People want to talk about their concerns and their struggles. Too many of us feel isolated, strange or invisible. Conversation helps end that. You see, that that last statement is really important. Too many of us feel isolated, strange or invisible. Loneliness and isolation, not only because of lockdown, it increases it, I guess, for, for a lot of people... But but so many people today are feeling isolated, estranged and lonely and conversation helps end that. And so if we enter this idea of advocating for our faith as know-it-all people who just want to present the evidence and have you accept it or not accept it, we're just going to increase the loneliness and the estrangement. But if we enter into a conversation around the things that we believe and the things that they don't believe, then that's good. That's good. And I bet you we'll find common ground. And so what I've pointed out there is that this is changing the world one conversation at a time. And if our defending the faith, if our advocating for the faith can be seen in the light of conversations that can change the world, I think that we would be a whole lot better off. And so what we're coming to is advocating for the faith. As I've said, I like to call this advocating rather than defending because the advocate is the parakletos, you know, the name for the Holy Spirit. He's known as the advocate who comes alongside of us to encourage us and to enable us. And when you think about it, isn't that a whole lot better positioning for talking about our faith? That as we have friends who don't share our faith or who don't don't understand why a good God allows suffering, um, who don't understand why a God would sanction warfare, because those are the two questions that, that have been asked of me in relation to this uh, to speak about next week. When we have uh, people who struggle with the things that we that, that we believe, isn't it a much better position to be advocating, to be people who are walking together on the journey of life and talking about these things, to be having conversations about these things? Not as people who have, have all the answers, because we don't, friends. We don't have all the answers. There is great mystery in so much of what we believe. Uh, but we do... Uh, we, we are people who are on the journey 
on the journey of faith and, and applying that to everyday, uh, everyday situations. And isn't it better to come alongside of others in that journey to walk together as a, a way of advocating for the faith? So what are the main characteristics of such advocacy? Well, I've listed some there on the overhead. The lifestyle that we live. It's much deeper than not swearing or not telling crude jokes. And it's much broader than our sexual ethics. It's a lifestyle that is just like Jesus. It's a lifestyle, as I've already said, that puts the things of Christ, what he lived for, what he advocated for, love, mercy and grace, uh, defending uh, the, the, the poor and, and, and ministering to the poor, uh, reaching out to people who are estranged, uh, estranged um, coming alongside women and children who are the outcasts, this is the lifestyle of Christ, a lifestyle of integrity. And our lifestyle is extremely important as a main characteristic of, the, of, of what we're talking about here. Relationships where conversations are the norm. That's what we've been talking about too. Learning the art of good conversation that's dialogical, not monological, but dialogical. Not just me telling you what I believe and you should believe it too, but me sharing with you and then inviting you into the conversation is so important. What I call synergistic inquiry, and forgive the, the fancy terminology, but the idea of synergy is bringing things together. And, and so often, as I've already said, so, so often I'll have a point of view on this and you'll have a point of view on this and let's try to find the common ground because the, the things that you're saying that contradict me are not all wrong. You know, there's stuff that you're saying, boy, I have questions about that too. And let's have an openness in our conversation. Let, let's understand the whole point of synergy. Now, when I talk about that, some people get worried that I've lost, that I'm off the track and, and, and that I'm talking about relativity, you know, and that, oh, everything is really true. It's just whatever you choose to believe. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about I have some things that, that, that I believe and you have some things that you believe. Let's talk about those together and find the common ground. You know, where, where are we starting with? And we have similar questions and we need to understand that. And then another fancy term, cognitive dissonance. It's an exciting thing if you think about it. It's that I believe this way, but you're telling me this, you're living this way, it doesn't make sense. Like, I've always believed that Christians were really arrogant and, and, and hypocritical, but I've been watching you and you say you're a Christian, but you're quite humble in the way that you come across and, and, and you're living, what I can tell, is a bit of a life of integrity. You know, you're making sense, but this doesn't make sense. I believe this way, you're living quite differently. There's co what we call cognitive dissonance. In other words, it doesn't make sense to me. And that's a wonderful thing. <laughs> that's a wonderful thing. When we can bring a person to a position of cognitive dissonance, there's something there to talk about. 
You know, if you're different, they, you, you, you often hear people say, oh, I always thought Christians were that way, but you're something different. You know, how, how come you live different? How come you're not like the box that I always put Christians into? And then you can explain what Jesus is all about. It's a great way of uh, advocating for why we choose to follow Jesus. And then the last thing I've got there on that list is humility. You know, this is so important to be humble in the way that we come across to people because, folks, we don't know it all. (laughs) We don't know it all. There's so much that we don't understand and I know we don't like this, but there's a lot that we misunderstand. (laughs) And our lives are a life of discovering more and more of what God is all about. That's why we gather here every Sunday morning because we want to find out something more of what God is really like, of, the, of, of what Jesus is calling us to. And we've got to be, be humble in the way that we come across to other people. Extremely important. And so, in conclusion, isn't that an exciting two words to hear? In conclusion. In Philip Yancey's recent book, Vanishing Grace, He talks about who the dispensers of grace are today in chapter 5. I love that terminology, dispensers of grace, because that's what we want to be, isn't it? You know, as we we move out into our world around us, we want to be dispensers of grace, people who live out grace, that the world will benefit from that. And he says this, While discussing the growing antipathy towards Christians, a friend remarked to me, there are three kinds of Christians that outsiders to the faith still respect. Pilgrims, activists, and artists. The uncommitted will listen to them far sooner than to an evangelist or an apologist. Although non-believers do not oppose a spiritual search, they will listen only to those Christians who present themselves as fellow pilgrims, that's what Peter says, gentleness and respect, fellow pilgrims on the way rather than as part of a superior class that has already arrived. And oftentimes our lack of humility in our conversations can make us come across as people who have arrived. We know it all, and we don't want to be that. People won't listen to us if we come across as the experts who have already arrived and we know everything, and aren't you lucky for having this conversation with me? (laughs) But if we're fellow pilgrims who are walking the journey, then we're going to be heard. We're going to be listened to in conversation. And then activists, and uh, maybe this is what Peter was referring to as setting Christ as Lord of our lives, because that will involve not only belief but but action, living that way. Express their for activists express their faith in the most pers- per- persuasive way of all by their deeds, the way that they live, and art, the art of storytelling, for instance succeeds when it speaks most authentically to the human condition. When believers do so with skill, again, the world takes note. I think that's such an important quote. Art succeeds when it speaks 
most authentically to the human condition. See, the human condition involves the things that we're going to be talking about next week. It involves, why, why is there so much pain and suffering around? Why does God, some people say, why does God cause that? Others might say, why does God allow that? You see, that's speaking uh, to the human condition. And it'll be exciting to pick it up <clears throat> next week as we look at that and a couple of other questions in applying this foundation. But you see how important it is to be, um, to, to be sure of our foundation stone, the, 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 the concept of storytelling and, 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 and conversation and relationship and humility and all of those things that we've been talking about. Because we don't want to be uh, people who are just presenting ourselves as having all the answers. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that's good for advocating for our faith. We want to be those who are saying, this is why we follow Jesus, because it seems to us that Jesus knows what he's talking about. He's got his act together. Uh, that, that Jesus has presented the way uh, to a deeper spirituality of knowing God. And that's why we follow, follow Jesus. So I look forward to uh, opening that up and, and, and sharing it with you um, a little bit more next week. So let's bring this uh, time of uh, meeting together, this time of gathering to a close as we pray. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you do exist uh, that you are a personal God, that you have revealed yourself and that we can come to know you. Thank you for calling us into a relationship with you through Christ. Thank you for filling us with your presence through your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for making it all real to us. And thank you that we have the privilege of following you. Dear Lord Jesus, there are many people in our world who don't follow you, who, who don't know you, who don't understand what that is to follow you. Please help us to represent you really well in the way that we live. And then when we have opportunity to talk about why we believe in you and why we choose to live your way, please help us to do that with gentleness and respect with humility, and with love for others. In Jesus' name, amen.